Welcome back to the Black Menace Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Rachel, and I'm here with my other host. Nate Bird, happy to be on the show as always. Yes. And we have a wonderful guest with us today. Louise, say hello to everybody. Hi. Yes. So we'll get more into his story um, in a second here. But before that, we're going to hand it back to Nate for the Menace moment today. Yes, ma'am. So this week, have a, an incredibly special uh, individual. Okay. One that... I admire. Okay. Um, on June 27th, 1997, Gabriella or Gabby Sarmiento Wilson was born to a Filipino mother and African-American father. She is a five-time Grammy winning award or Grammy award winning R&B artist, an Academy Award winner, an American Music Award winner, a Billboard Music Award winner, and a Golden Globe nominee. She's an incredible singer, songwriter, and guitarist, and she is known to us as her. Mm. which stands for Having Everything Revealed. She began her music-slash-acting career at nine years old, appearing on Nickelodeon um, and performing on The Today Show. Uh, she performed at The Apollo, on Mari, uh, Good Morning America, The View. She performed at the BET Awards, and she was also on Disney's Next Big Thing competition. In 2011, at age 14, she released her first album uh, with J Records through Sony, um, and uh, it was under her real name. And then in 2016, she rebranded and became the mysterious, iconic persona we know today as her. And she released her debut album, which was self-titled. Uh, she immediately received praise and support from the likes of Usher, Tyrese, Alicia Keys, Pusha T, and Bryson Tiller. And her music was also highlighted on TV shows like Taraji P. Henson's Empire and Issa Rae's Insecure. After releasing her volume two in 2017, she toured with Bryson Tiller, and then went on her own headlining tour later on that year. Uh, in sept September 2018, she announced her uh, I Used to Know Her tour in support of her EP series, I Used to Know Her, The Prelude, and I Used to Know Her Part 2. Um, and then her second compilation album, I Used to Know Her, was released in August of 2019, the next year. She performed as one of the headliners of the 2019 Global Citizen Festival in Central Park in New York. And then on September 20th, 2020, she sang... Prince's song, Nothing Compares to You, for the memoriam segment of the 72nd Primetime Emmy Awards. In 2021, during the pregame festivities for Super Bowl 50, no, 49, whatever that number is. Uh, oh, 40, no, 55. Um, I can read, I promise. <laughs> Super Bowl 55, uh, she performed America the Beautiful, which I actually remember watching that. I don't usually watch the pregame stuff, but I remember um, seeing her sing and I was very happy. And then I cut it off for the national anthem. <laughs> Love you, America. Uh, singing and uh, playing, uh, let me see. So yeah, she sung and played the guitar while she did that. And then in June of 2021, her single Damage topped the US R&B radio chart, which that's a banger if you've never heard it. Um, in an interview, her mentioned that she grew up listening to Filipino ballad singers such as Sharon Cuneta and JR, uh, which contributed to her ballad-like style of singing. Um, she's performed in roles such as Belle in a live 30th anniversary adaptation of Beauty and the Beast. Mm. And she's also slated to mm. perform as Squeak in the upcoming Color Purple musical, yes. um, which will be in theaters here soon. Mm. Um, and then just kind of addressing the secrecy over her identity, because if you've if you've never seen her, if you are familiar with her, 
she always has on a pair of sunglasses. And I think she's moving away from that now. But her thing is she always has on like a big pair of sunglasses that kind of hide her face and she'll wear like big hats and stuff like that. I'm just like really beautiful and glamorous. Um, uh, but she said that um, the mystery is a metaphor for who I am or who I was at the time of creating my first project. I feel like oftentimes we don't like to be open as people about our emotions or things that we're going through. Um, at the time of recording, I was very closed off, except for when I was writing or when I was in the studio. I'm a voice for women who feel like they're alone in these situations. This project came from emotion, and that's what I want it to be about. Not what I look like or who I'm with, but the raw mm. emotion and support for women. So that is her, also known as Gabriella Wilson. Yeah, when you said her name, I was like, who is that? Right. I was really trying is. to figure out who he was talking about because <laughs> I've... I've n- I didn't know her first name. Yeah, it's amazing what a what a rebrand will do for you too. Uh-huh. Like it's just you know like her whole mysterious like persona is a big part. But of, we've seen of her face is. though. She's shown her face. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. More recently, she's definitely yeah, started she... to show her face. But like before, like when she mm. like the first five or six years, it was just always the sunglasses. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think I didn't see her like live. Does that make sense? Like. um, or showing her, yeah, I don't think I even knew about her until after my mission, yeah, which really know. was when I feel like she was more open with, like, showing her herself. She's on the Nationwide commercial right now, if you guys have seen that. Yeah, I love yeah, that commercial, it, I I commercial too. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, them. it's actually really good. She's singing, like, the Nationwide song, and she, she does have sunglasses, but they're... I mean, you can still see her face mm. pretty well. So she's in like a makeup commercial for I think like Olay or I don't know what it is, but I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's her. But yeah, yeah. When when she first stopped wearing her sunglasses, and then it was like kind of a thing on social media mm. where they're like, I didn't recognize this person at all, even though she's like one of the most iconic R and B artists out right now. And I was like, yeah, who is this? And then I looked at the comments and was like, oh, this is her. And I was like, dang, I did not recognize her without her glasses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's cool. So yeah, that, you know, it's kind of uh, special how she just kind of like used her her emotions as a way to like drive her her persona forward but now she's like yeah, she's moving into a different stage of life uh, she's kind of like moved away from that so it's cool i like that yeah. though artists evolving and changing mm-hmm. i love to see the way artists evolve and change and absolutely um, we've seen that with like you know beyonce and things sorry this is true big artists like drake who well. has decided making making really popular music is more important than making yeah. actual music so it's just mm. interesting to see the way artists evolve and change over their career through their own personal goals but also just like what they're experiencing in life mm-hmm. yeah i mean for a while i think i i believe bad bunny used to kind of be all about like nah, i'm not gonna use any english or anything going on but mm. uh, i feel like that's changed a lot oh has he started to use english in his music? i don't i'm not exactly him. sure in his music but like, you know, at least a lot a lot of his pr has kind of changed especially after mm. he started dating jenner oh yeah so, oh, but, i forgot about that i didn't know that wow that's I mean, that, that, that i mean that is one thing that in the latino community yeah obviously, obviously gets <laughs> talked about yeah like, i'm sure you know look i that's cool i'm not as familiar with him but i can only imagine how <laughs> i know it was like when kanye started dating kim in the black community so um yeah that's all i'll say i'll leave it at that so yeah <laughs> uh, yeah well i will not i will not make yeah, any exactly, further comments exactly. about that <laughs> I do got to say, though, I love that like Latino artists are getting a bigger mm-hmm. worldwide stage. Or I guess a bigger, I should say a bigger audience in America because they've already had the worldwide stage. Like there's artists yeah. that have been huge for forever. But like when you come to America, like nobody knows about them, like um, Anita or like Bad Bunny or anything yeah. like that. But um, I've enjoyed Latin music for, for quite a while. Um, maybe not like as much like corridos or banda or anything like that. <laughs> but I'm like getting more into that. 
Yeah. At the end of the year, when when Spotify does the whole like most played, yeah, my number one song is gonna be um, what is it? Esleban Armando and and Peso Pluma. What's that song called? Ella Ella Baila Sola. That's oh, gonna be okay, like my okay. number one yeah. song. But yeah. I've been playing that one on repeat. Have for... you have you heard the cover that Snoop Dogg Snoop Dogg did with the? Uh, I forget the name of the bandas. Um, he did a collaboration and they did they did a cover of a song called. Um, La Maldición de Extrañarte, I think is what it's called. No, it is bizarre. I not heard that, but I want to. Though. It's so great. You should look it up. Yeah, that. you should look it up. It's bizarre. The first time I heard it, I'm like, what? Okay, yeah. You're going to have to send me that for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's 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 bizarre. But yeah, no, I, I do. I do. I mean, I think it makes sense, too. I mean, I think um, the, you know, the, the Spanish-speaking and, and Latino communities, Latina communities, Latinx are is such a big <laughs> part in the US that yeah. it's just like, yeah, there's I mean, obviously it's I, I feel like the mainstream eventually will start kind of like, you know, kind of bleeding through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how much it really has. I feel like in films it's it's still struggling, but at least in music it's kind of like yeah, kind yeah. of doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean if you think about the Latino Latinx population in the United States, it's only like increasing because People are just having more kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so um, it's a very large part. Like they're the largest minority, air quote around minority, just because people of color will not be a minority eventually. Um, but that's like the largest BIPOC group. And um, it's interesting. Something I look at is uh, like by cities. You know, I don't know if you guys are on Apple Music. The Apple Music will allow you to see like the top song in a city. I don't know if Spotify mm-hmm. does that. I'm anti not anti-spotify but i'm not on there for real um and and so um it's really interesting to see by city like what song and like you go to la specifically um la is like top all top 25 songs are all like songs by spanish Hmm. artists yeah um so just interesting to see like certain places it'd be interesting to look at places like you know arizona texas just places with um higher Latino populations. And even yeah. in New York, for example, like there is still a, a, a large amount of Spanish speakers in uh, that area too. And they have a lot of mix as well. So it's just cool to see certain areas maybe have that more than others. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Man, I got so many things I want to recommend right now. But, um, save that for the end, Nate. Yeah, I'll save it for the end. Okay. Uh, yes. Cool. All right. We're going to jump into the interview. Yes. We got my man Luis here um, to talk about some of the things that you do. You're an amazing filmmaker. And I actually just had the chance to meet you just a few days ago. I went to, uh, uh, a sh- I guess it was an art show uh, put on by Utah for All Immigrants, um, or Utah with All Immigrants. Um, and basically they had an, like an art show and then kind of like a, a place where um, there was just like the ability to express art and talents and things like that. So I sang there myself. And then Luis, you showed a film that actually just premiered at Sundance not too long ago. Yeah, and It's a film that you made. And it's just a, like a brief look into the the experience of someone who has immigrated to the United States and who's in the process of trying to become quote unquote naturalized, right? Um, but watching that, it stirred up like a lot of powerful emotions and it let it's it showed me a side that I have never like had the privilege to see, right? Like some of the fear and some of the just kind of like the the anxiety and the apprehension that goes into trying to become a United States citizen um, through the 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 program that we have today. But you kind of want to just talk a little bit about um, like some of the projects that you're working on. Talk about your film. Um, tell us what the name of it is, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm a I'm a 
a primarily a writer director for narrative films narrative meaning fiction as opposed to documentary but i do work on documentary um i, I do i right now i i work as the cinematographer in um at simple citizen and they, they're like a immigration tech company so i do documentaries about immigrants for them nice. um but my big pipe dream is to become a narrative fiction fiction director who's you know doing things like i have no tears and i must cry which is the name of the short mm -hmm. that you that you just mentioned um and feature films and shorts and going through all that so people watch those in the theaters and you know and such um yeah but for the for the last few years uh i mean most of my work has been focusing on that immigrant experience at least from uh from my own experience and I mean, a lot, a lot of it really kind of came that because of me just starting in film school. You know, I think, I think everybody, everybody wants to talk about things that inspire them, about their own perspective, about their own story. And up until then, I had never really thought my story was that important, <laughs> or, or, or that my perspective, you know, my my lived experience was unique in in its own way. And I think it wasn't until I you know, came to school and by, you know, for background, you know, I, I, I grew up, I moved from Mexico. I was born in Mexico, immigrated to Texas um, and lived there until I came to school uh, here in Utah. So uh, the experiences of immigrants very different than, than they are down in Texas. And, you know, even the, everything around was just, you know, so much different i think it helped me realize like oh no i think there are people who would really benefit from me telling my own stories as an immigrant my own experiences and such so i mean i think a lot of my work that i've done has been trying to focus on uh very different aspects of it uh from like from anywhere from like the whys of immigration why somebody would just leave their home and and you know, move to a different country to down through like the gritty process, you know, the very slow and, and pain, painful aspect of the bureaucracy that is immigration down into, you know, the kind of aftermath, you know, what, how does immigration shape uh, the people who, who are affected by it, you know, how, and in, in, I guess, in direct correlation, the people around them and such. So, I mean, I, I've got projects, uh, mostly shorts right now, that, that are mm. definitely all kind of encompass that. I mean, I have a short that I did years ago as a student, actually, um, that is a little bit more sci-fi surreal that tackles that question of, like, why do people migrate? Um, okay. Yeah, because I, I want to ask more about that, like, you know, yeah. what kind of the whys are behind. Yeah. And, you know, if that video is available, we'd love to be able to share that film. Yeah, that, that one is available. Yeah, I can okay. show that. I mean, it's my it was my last student film that I made at BYU. Ooh, nice. um, so... It's been a while since I've seen it, and so I'm like, um, but no, yeah, I can I can definitely share that. Um, also, true, just in, uh, interesting in in the, in an immigrant's experience, there is always this um, this connection that one wants to make with uh, well their their own culture and such. My um, before I have no tears and I must cry. My my wife and I actually, uh, who she's also an immigrant from the same city that I'm from. Uh, we co-wrote and directed a short called El Moño, uh, which is about a little girl who uh, finds, this one's more magical realist mm -hmm. in the way that uh, she finds of this like magical ritual that is kind of done in her family and she uses it to find lost things. And so mm -hmm. uh, it's very much about a film about connecting with one's 
uh, roots, you know, and one's own like ancestry and such like that. And that one is also available. So I can definitely share that one with you. That one just came off of its festival run. Mm, uh, nice. We we won an award at the San Francisco Film Festival, which okay. was which was a big win for us because yeah. um, it's the first time my, my wife has done something with film. In, in that regard and, and it was it was it was it was exciting to both of us work through it together so but yeah then i have no tears and i must cry premiered at sundance and and we're uh, we're still going through festivals and so we're excited to see where that goes yeah that's amazing yeah could you could you talk more about like some of the whys behind immigration yeah um you know like what is it that would make someone want to move like from their country to the united states or to another country yeah, no, it's it's a it's a complicated question because depending on the country, I think that a person comes from uh, the the answers could vary. Um, I think the one of the underlying threads that do connect a lot of uh, a lot of the answers, or at least, at least a lot of those questions, the answer to those questions, is just simply looking for something better. Mm in one way or another. Um, for a lot of immigrants, especially Latino immigrants, or even not just Latino immigrants, but just anywhere in the world uh, where there is just big masses of immigration going from typically countries that are considered in the global south, mm. uh, moving into you know the countries that we consider to be in the global north, um, you'll usually have families who kind of get broken up a little bit, either a husband or a wife, a father, mother, goes to work in, you know, the foreign, into the new country, you know, raises money so that uh, they can bring the rest of their family over. Mm. Um, sometimes you have people escaping. Um, a lot of times you have people escaping political unrest, um, situations like that, and they seek asylum in different countries. Um, and asylum is kind of interesting because... Um, Whenever we talk about the definitions of refugees, asylum seekers, immigrants and stuff, so many times the definitions of those terms overlap, mm. Mm. but they are labeled like that for political reasons. Mm. Um, it, you know, you, you, you look at the case of refugees that come from the Middle East, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of their conditions are very similar to a lot of people from South Central America mm. who are kind of coming over. Yeah. You know, they also have a lot of unrest and a lot mm. of, um, you know, kind of this social um, issues that is pushing them to, that are pushing them to come over. And ones are considered immigrants, the others are considered, uh, you know, like illegal immigrants, the others are considered refugees. But mm. you look at their stories and they tend to be pretty similar. Mm. And then you go to a country like Mexico, where I'm from, and you don't get a lot of asylum cases in Mexico. Right. Because it's not convenient politically for the U.S. to grant mm. asylum to Mexicans. Mm -hmm. um, because since Mexico is kind of like the little little sidekick for the U.S., mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not it's not convenient for the U.S. to acknowledge that there's something wrong going on down there. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess when it comes to terms, I guess what I'm trying to say, when it comes to terminology, there's so many politics behind it. Yeah. There's so much everything. But at the end that. of the day, going back to the question is, is people are just looking for something better whether it is to reunite with their families, whether it is to provide something for, you know, a lot of people work, especially in the U.S., work in the U.S. and send money back to their own countries. Yeah. Um, 
uh, or escaping insecurity and such like that. It's just, they're so, I mean, it's, I, I have not met a single person who's like an immigrant who I have met and, and thought like, oh, your reason for moving is illegitimate. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I, I don't, I don't think that really does exist. I feel, I think people, I don't think anyone just wakes up one day and be like, I'm just going to move to a different country just because. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not come from a place of privilege. Cause I think mm-hmm. there is that aspect too. You, you see kind of the movement of expats, you know, from the U S moving into other countries and be mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm an immigrant now. Cause I can be, it's like, well, you can afford to be, you know, you're, yeah. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not the same, it's, you know, very it's, different. it's very different. Yeah. hundred percent. And you know, even in the U S like the people move all the time. Right. But it's, I mean, obviously it's looked at differently, like, you know, traveling between States and things is looked at differently. But if you, I mean, I, I'm someone that moved a lot. Um, you know, whether it was for work or for school or what have you. Um, but those are all legitimate reasons for moving. And those are like similar reasons that other people, you know, from other countries would want to move to the United States for a better opportunity to to work or a better opportunity mm-hmm. to go to school. Um, but the way that it's been politicized is just kind of, it's wild. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of different things that have gone on, especially like in the, the Texas border. Um, and, you know, we saw what happened with them trying to build the wall. Um, we also saw like what happened when a bunch of people from Haiti were trying to come into the United States. I don't, I don't know if you remember that. It was kind of like yeah, the yeah, pandemic. yeah, I remember that. Um, a lot of them actually went through Mexico as yeah, well mm-hmm, to try to get yeah, through. Yeah, a lot of them came through Mexico and then tried to, to get across. And we saw like, you know, police on horses, like basically yeah. throwing them across the river and things like that. But um, I wanted to ask, what do you kind of think about um, some of the ways that it that things have been politicized when it comes to immigration? Like, what do you think about? Uh, these governors that have been like, you know, sending buses full of of immigrants to the White House yeah. and all that kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think mm, <laughs> so many things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do think so many things about this, and and I think it's ridiculous. Um, we when we talk about forces, economic forces, about where, um, you know where people are working, where especially when someone's undocumented and such uh, has to work here in the U.S. Um, and what they're doing. I think we, we we tend to forget sometimes that a lot of the jobs that are, you know, that a lot of undocumented immigrants work for uh, tend to be very crucial jobs for the U.S., for the infrastructure, for yeah. not just, um, you know, not just farming and things like that, and you know, not just the agricultural aspects, uh, food supply, but infrastructure you know just it's just these kind of things that people at least in the conversation have been saying that like oh you know it's like yeah white people wouldn't be taking those jobs or yep. you know it's, it's so it's it's such a it, it's so ironic that the people who do benefit from a cheap labor like that you know and and, and i do want to be careful when i say that because um Immigrants are smart. There's a lot of immigrants who are working those kind of jobs who are able to maximize the way that that works. And, you know, there, I, I, I have known of a lot of, of immigrants, for example, down in like in California who uh, are able to just make $8,000 like a month mm. um, just from picking produce and such like that. But, um, but, there, but the system is still very much laid to where it's really easy to exploit these yeah, workers and say, such they like can that. still be exploited. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's why I says I want to be careful how I say that. But however, the people who benefit 
and capitalize on the cheap labor that a lot of these immigrants provide um, are also the ones who are kind of trying to push this strange agenda of anti-immigration and anti um, uh, kind of, you know, trying to take away things like DACA, trying to take away things like uh, nationalizing uh, mm -hmm. immigrants. I think it really, I mean, if it, it makes sense too, if you if you think about it, I don't want to get all all uh, you know conspiracy theorists or something <laughs> something like that. But it's well, it, if it's going to profit you to you to keep a large you know population that is giving you this this benefit, if it's going to benefit you to like keep to, to keep them you know undocumented to keep them illegal disenfranchised, um, then you're going to advocate for that. You know. Um, but then at the same time, a lot of their constituents, a lot of the people who are listening on this are are being fed this information through uh, xenophobic remarks, through yeah. um, mm -hmm. through a lot of racist uh, rhetoric. And and it just I mean, it's I, I think it was very, very much more present during the Trump administration um, where a lot of immigrants were. I mean, uh, even, even for me, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not undocumented, but it was just so strange to walk down the street mm. and be even, ever so much more alert mm -hmm. than before. Mm -hmm. You know, it's my one of my one of my friends, too. I, I remember he he was just out on a run and there's like all of a sudden there's like this white truck like tailgating, you know, like tailgating him with like flying a, a, a Confederate flag and such. Up just uh, over here in Salem, you know, Utah. Yeah. You know, it was, it was like this has never happened before. So, uh, I think it really does. It really does factor in who's in power, who is, um, who is validating certain emotions and attitudes and and rhetoric. And uh, you know, I, I think it comes in waves. I think we're we're kind of a little bit of a of a standstill, at least with that kind of rhetoric, we we haven't heard so much about it. Just simply, mm -hmm. um, but I I can see it coming back in a few years or a, a few months. You know, it's not it's something that keeps get repeated on the on the gets thrown on the on the debate floor every once in a while when people just want to get riled up and want to like use some sort of scapegoat, which you know it has been usually ethnic minorities that have been the scapegoat for a lot of political discourse. So definitely yes. Mm. <laughs> the yeah. answer is yes. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, how it has been politicized. Mm. Interesting. Okay, kind of switching gears a little. I want to go back to kind of asking what inspired you to want to get into filmmaking overall, um, and what your experience was like, kind of doing that at a young age and sharing that with your parents. So, first, yeah. I want to know what what inspired you to want to say I want to go into filmmaking, cinematography, like what. If any exposure did you have that made you pick that as a major? Mm -hmm. um, just because I know that that's always a, it's not something that people necessarily always grow up saying. Like kids yeah. don't grow up saying like, I want to be a director. People yeah. go up saying, you know, I want to be a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever. And so I want to know what, where was that switch for you yeah. um, growing up? Definitely. I originally wanted to become a musician. Mm. Uh, when I, when we first came into the U.S., um, I, the first thing that I did, not the first thing, but. I remember very clearly, um, I was nine and my brother had been asking his friends like, Hey, what do, what do American kids listen to? And this is, you know, this is 2001. And so he gave him like a punk rock CD. It's like, <laughs> Oh, this, this is what I listened to. This was his friend, you know, told him. Um, and so 
I started listening to that and that kind of, you know, I, I, I was a punk rocker, you know, I would go to like warp tour and, you know, watch all those like emo bands and such. And when I was in high school, I learned how to play the guitar, mm. you know, was in the, like a punk band. Maybe. And so I wanted to, I, I, I told my parents, like, I want to become a musician and with immigrant parents, it's, it's hard. And I was mentioning this to you. Cause, cause... Yeah, I was going to ask about this as well. Like, how was that? Oh, like, being into like punk rock, what was that? How was that accepted? Yeah. And also then like eventually, how was it telling them that you wanted to yeah. go into filmmaking? So yeah, keep going. I'm just so I grew up LDS. Um, right. You know, I grew up Mormon, and with music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's We're always... all laughing because we already know. My mom used to have a rule: no rap music on Sundays. Mm. Like. <laughs> For me, it was no rap music, like unless it was Christian rap. Oh, see, we could have rap, but she's like, not on Sundays. But see, yeah, but at least you could listen to rap. Ah, for, yeah, for, for, for punk, it was so interesting that stylistically, it's such an aggressive sounding mm-hmm. genre, or at least hardcore punk and, and like screamo and stuff. That the stuff that I was into, yeah. it's like they didn't care if they were singing about Jesus. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like they they would tell me it's like that's 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 you know. That's not inviting the spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not inviting the spirit and you can't listen to it. Um, somewhere I, I read that, you know, certain type of people uh, sometimes get interested in certain music, whether it be calming and relaxing, uh, simply just that's kind of how they're hardwired sometimes that it's like, if you're someone who like gets chill by listening to like a lot of aggressiveness and that's just kind of. You know, that's yeah. how you cope with it. And I'm like, oh, I think I might be that because on the opposite <laughs> end, you know, throw me like a snap pop kind of like something. And I'm like, I can't, I, I'm getting anxious, like just listening mm. to this guy's stuff. The yeah. But, and yeah, because this, like, yeah, this actually me. brings me the spirit because it's calming me, EFY connecting music. me. Like that is making it worse. Yeah. EFY music, we're like, I'm thinking about the devil right now. You know, yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, no, but uh, so, I mean, First of all, it was I had to hide a lot of the music I, I, I would I would play. Um, but then my parents did did um, at the time, you know, also kind of being of the tradition that like, well, we're we're kind of used to people being accountants and being lawyers and being uh, doctors and engineers, which is that's what like the middle class in Mexico you know was mm. and, and is, you know, people who wanted to become musicians or artists that those were all rich people. So. Us, me saying like, oh, I want to become a musician. Obviously, they had the reservations. They were like, well, do you know how to make money as a musician? Obviously, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know. So they they did urge me to try to look look into it. And I, and I found out that like, oh, you can make money in a music-related field by becoming an auto engineer and, mm-hmm. and, you know, becoming like a producer and such like that. And so that interested me kind of most of the time that I was in high school. Uh, I mean, I, I think I did have a criteria when I was in high school and especially in church, when, when everyone's telling you like, you know, make sure you get a, a career that is going to help you provide for a family, which was usually code word for safe job, a safe job, job yeah. guaranteed income, yeah. a, you know, a desk, you know, yeah. office job kind of things like that. And I'm like, well, screw that. <laughs> it's just like, I don't want that. I, I, I know what you're telling me. I don't, I don't want that. Um, so I, I tried pursuing that for a while. Um, I, I go on a mission. And, well, before I went on a mission, actually, I, I watched the film. I'm kind of switching into the film stuff. It was actually an animated film called Persepolis. 
Um, it's about. Oh, I, I think I'm. I'm like. I'm pretty sure I read that book, and I think I've yeah, seen yeah, yeah. the film because so yeah. I read it in eighth grade. Yeah, yeah by my Marjan Santrapi. Yeah, she, mm-hmm. she's um, uh, she's French Iranian, and you know, made this made this comic book about her life, and that she later adopted into a film. And I watched the film when I was a teenager, and it was it, it did it did leave a mark. It did you leave a profound impact? That uh, I go on my mission and. Uh, on an LDS mission, you know, and one of my companions who was there was telling me, it's like, oh, I want to become a filmmaker. I'm like, oh, interesting. It's like, and I asked him a little bit about that because I, I was, I always like movies, always like, mm. you know, uh, watching them. And Please. I always like to watch. So I know where do you serve? I served in Nicaragua. Okay, cool. Nicaragua in Central America for people who might not know where <laughs> Nicaragua is. <laughs> um, so, um, I, I've I've always kind of been interested in stuff. I've been interested in cameras for a long time. My 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 dad had a an old, uh, thirty five millimeter like camera, photography camera that mm. my my brother and I would sometimes like use. My brother more more than I did, but anyway. So I just asked him, and he's like, "Well, it's like this. There's this man who was like in our area. He had a very interesting story. He had been like a a guerrilla fighter in um uh, during the revolution in Nicaragua. Wow." Mm. And he was like telling me, it's like, yeah, this man's story is just so interesting. I want to put stories like this man's like into film so that people like learn about this. He's like, have you ever seen there's this movie about like this, this like Iranian woman who goes through this entire thing? I'm like, you're talking about Persepolis? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, that one. It's like, I just I, that movie inspired yeah. me. I'm like, oh, you know, so I'm, I started making that connection and about storytelling and about the impact that stories have, because I started looking back at like a lot of my favorite films and a lot of my favorite films dealt with uh, just perspectives that I had not really considered before, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and it, and they dealt with with, with stories of um, of, you know, people, usually usually ethnic minorities who were like mm-hmm. um, having to like go through and push through. And so. But when I when I came back from my mission, I have an interesting story about my mission president. When I my my um when I when I was on my exit interview, I don't know if I don't know if this okay. is they do this everywhere, but they, yeah, um, I had okay. an exit interview. It's your okay. final like interview that you have, and it's like where your mission president normally tells you like go home, get married. Your next mission is marriage. Okay. To find your next companion, your yeah. eternal companion. So yeah. dramatic. But. So <laughs> I, I had two mission precedents, and and this this is this was the second one. Um, when I was like leaving, um, the word on the street was that he was telling most everybody, and by most everybody it was like all the white missionaries. He mm. was telling them like you should go study finance. You know, you know. I even asked a friend like, oh, who wanted to be a writer? I'm like, hey. Are you still going to be a writer? This was after school. It's like, nah, president told me to study finance. So hmm. I guess I'll study finance. Anyways, I was going into this into this interview just kind of wondering because I, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I was like, oh, I'm interested in kind of going into entertainment, whether it be music, radio, television, you know, movies kind of thing. Um, I'm curious to know what he'll say. And, you know, I'm just, yeah. So anyways, I go in and, 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 and he asked me, he's like, so what do you want to what do you want to do? What do you want to study? And I'm like, well, I tell him, it's like, I'm interested in going to the entertainments, whether it be like TV, radio, music, you know, television, films. Mm-hmm. And he and he just he just like leans back. He's like, oh, okay. It's like, look, Elder, I don't I don't really care what you do. It's just, you know, wow. if you become a janitor, you know, just become the best janitor what? that you can. <laughs> he said janitor? That's 
I feel it's, like it, you could have picked a different example. Any, it feels a little racialized. Just, um, just exactly. you know what I mean? Like, it's like you could have, and what's this a white person? I'm going to oh, ask. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. yeah. You could have picked a different example. It's just, that was not yeah. the right one. It's like, I, you could have said anything else. Exactly. <laughs> they're, they're in the you seat. I'm like, teacher. I don't know. Like, teacher. there's just other things you could have yeah. picked. Yeah. Exactly. I, it's like, I, I, it's like, I, I know what it is you're trying to tell me. And I know it's coming from a good heart, but right. you're you're literally talking to the only Mexican in this entire mission mm. wow. who is going back to the U.S. and you're bringing up janitor like, oof. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so you know that was a a little sight. Anyways, that became a huge inspiration for me to be like, in spite of, mm. Mm. right? <laughs> now, I'm not no yeah. Yeah, Adam now you're, now I'm you're not sweeping no. up at film festivals. You're cleaning yeah, up no, no, nothing, nothing. Yeah, I mean, nothing. He's cleaning up the competition. Exactly. That's what he's uh -huh. doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. But um, anyways, I come back and I, I, you know, on a whim, decide to come to BYU, and there I, on a whim, on a big whim. Um, decided to come to BYU because I never thought about coming to BYU mm. before that. Um, mm. And and I started exploring a few classes, like in the animation, like the film, such like that. Still thinking about doing music producing, um, but I started finding in the in at least in the camera kind of courses and such that I I liked it. I mm. really really did. And you know, applied for the film program there and got through. Um, still thinking I was going to be an audio engineer because there, there, there's audio classes in the film oh, okay. program. Okay. Um, I even worked at BYU TV like as oh, an audio engineer for a while, wow. and it took two years of that to me to, for me to realize like audio is not the thing for me. Mm -hmm. In fact, kids, there's there's some kids who might be also listening to at this point some some people that used to know me as the audio guy. Oh. Um, and it just, it took me a while for me to realize like, this is like, I, I want to be in the director's chair. Mm. I want to be telling the stories mm. that right now I'm just like adding sound to them, but it's like, I want to be headlining and telling those stories. Cause by that time I had already been, um, uh, thankfully I had been very, uh, pushed or, or, or encouraged to seek out my own perspective and my own experience as an immigrant um as a mexican immigrant and and knowing that people could really take um they would really benefit from that and so i wanted to do that i wanted to put my stories on film and and likewise other stories and i just you know made the switch and and has since then it's actually been quite nice yeah <laughs> it's been really really nice i've i've felt very very fulfilled yeah that's awesome and so how was it um so i know you mentioned this a little like talking to your parents about saying um i'm gonna do film i want to do movies do storytelling what was that like just because yeah. based on my experience with my friends who have immigrant parents um again just that non-traditional route is sometimes yeah hard and so were they um super accepting did they push back a little and eventually that like, came around so mm -hmm. how was that experience for you yeah um, I think something that helped and um, my brother, my older brother, he he kind of got the shorter end of the stick on a lot of stuff. Um, he he had already tried doing like the photography route. Mm. And I think he had a lot of pressure with uh, regards of, 
you know, of needing to like be successful making money. I remember when they told him, was like, well, if you want to be a photographer, you kind of need to go to like a, like an art school, photography school. And obviously those cost a lot of money. And by the time that you graduate, you don't make a ton of money mm. like off the go. And I think that kind of scared him a little bit. Mm. Um, and I guess by, by extension, my parents, you know, my, my dad, I think did tell him, was like, well, you want you you might want to reconsider you know i think they were trying to be as supportive as possible for him mm. so that you know and and i think as as practical with him as as possible um so that by the time that i come up and and say like oh i want to study music producing it took a while for me to convince them that's what i wanted to do but i had done my research mm. on like where i could go to school how much i could earn you know like what i could be doing that i think i kind of gave them a little bit of um i made it a little bit easier for them to digest yeah. seeing that i had like put in the work yeah to do all that like research but then I said, like, no, actually, I want to become a filmmaker. And I think my parents were also used to a lot of students, a lot of kids that we knew back in, in the day that would go to BYU and, like, switch their, like, majors, like, five okay. times. And so they, they were just like, oh, they, they got a little bit, you know, you know, like, a little bit antsy about that. And so they asked me, well, do you have a backup, you know? And I remember before I was, like, applying for the film program, uh, my mom wanted me to like you you need to have a backup you need to have something in case you don't get in because mm -hmm. you know because there could be a possibility that i couldn't get into the into the film major at byu and it it, it uh, i mean a couple of things happened i started getting like i had like seasonal depression and was like going through mm -hmm. like a lot of rough spots and had like anxiety mm -hmm. and i i had to just and, and a lot of it actually was just being caused on me trying to think like what is my alternative and I needed to like put all this effort into this application mm. for this major that I really, really wanted. Um, that like trying to think of an alternative was just like, it's like, I don't have the space for that. I'm trying to put all my energy into this and thinking about the alternative. I don't know. It was probably like, exactly. There is no alternative. This, it, this is what it has to be. Exactly. Finally, I told, I had to tell my mom, I was like, mom, I can't think of an alternative right now. Mm -hmm. Like I need to like put all my into like this application. Like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to like work at this fully. And I, and, and that I think one, she didn't ask me about an alter, alternate again, you know, <laughs> the backup plan. And I think too, it also did the same thing that, uh, you know, I think did when I did all my research on like, it was like, I think it gave them a little bit of clarity and be knowing that I was like very serious about it. Mm. Um, and so after I got into the program and they started seeing that I was like doing work and that I was starting to like make connections and starting to, um, I think, I think maybe one of the times that it was like, oh, where they realized like, oh, well, you're, you're like doing something. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to work as a translator at the Sundance labs, uh, oh, you know, some summers ago when I was wow. still, still a student, um, uh, for a Mexican director. And so after that huge experience, which was my my first time kind of experience anything with like Sundance or anything, I, I told my mom's like, you know, it's relatively easy to make these connections. It's relatively easy to kind of talk to people, tell them that you want to become a filmmaker. Um, and these are connections that I think I can like later use you know like when you know when when needing to ask questions and such. Mm -hmm. And I think for them that was kind of like, oh okay, like, yeah, I think we know, I think 
we think that you know what you're doing. Mm. And and since then, it's I've kind of just taken that and, and, and ran with it. A lot of those can, people that I met at the Sundance Labs, like years ago, I recently re-met this year when mm. I was like at finally at the festival oh, wow. where I was just like, hey, I don't know if you guys remember me, but I was like mm. that translator was like, oh, well, of course, you know. So it was, so it's interesting how a lot of that kind of comes up, you know, the things that I did, you know, years ago, I told my parents, it's like, hey, I told you guys, you know, it's like these like, people yeah. that I met like years ago now and uh, they've it's, you know, I've been able to make that full circle moment with them yeah because i bet the community is small that's always what i yeah realizing anything you do the community is small and um i feel that way in my profession like everyone knows everyone and- oh it is this year i've realized how small the film industry is and by the mm. film industry i mean like like everybody knows each other mm. and it's just crazy it's like it it feels like before at least i i before getting into Sundance and, and going through all these like bigger festivals and such, I felt that I was kind of traveling a little bit like blind, like I couldn't really see. Mm. Now I feel like somebody's turned on the lights and I can see, oh, there's a huge winding path and obstacles that I can see, but at least I can see them. Right. And at least I can see the people there. Uh, but before that happens, it's like it's almost like you're walking through wax. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it's a bit it's a bit tough. But once you're kind of through, it's like, oh, okay. I I think leveraging and be able to connect with other people, producers, and things like that, it's it becomes a lot easier. I think. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So, as you've kind of made those connections and things like that, how has that I guess kind of changed the way that you? that you like view your objectives? Like, have you been able to gain more confidence in yourself and your artwork? Like how is your like perception of yourself and of the industry kind of shifted? Yeah. Oh man. So there's, there's a few things and this is, I don't know how much you guys have talked about this with films and representation. I think there is, there's obviously the factor of money. Mm. Um, and in film and things that I've learned recently is that film investors are, I mean, for them to be able to just like give millions of dollars to a project, they want to be sure that their investment's going to have a return. Mm-hmm. And usually that gets done through cast. Uh, when you are able to get like an A-lister on a film, then it it's easier for you to get like more money so that you know because the 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 to the investors to the executive producers um you know they think it's like oh well this this is a known actor this is like a known a-lister and such so and especially if they're in a re, in the lead role um so it's going to be easier for us to be able to give this money to this because we know people are going to watch a familiar face and such like that mm-hmm. when you start translating that into uh actors of color mm-hmm. actor you know, minority actors it it gets tricky because um, historically, uh, you know, minority actors, you know, act- actors of color have not had the same opportunities that uh, certain, you know, like a lot of like A-list white actors are. Yeah. So the pool for actually being able to get um, like an A-list, you know, for example, I'm try- I want to make a lot of the stories that I'm making is about Mexican immigrants. Um, there's just not like a, a ton to pull from that mm. would necessitate, you know, that would... Uh, justify you know like this investor being like i'll yes. give you five million dollars for this mm-hmm. project you don't want tom cruise playing the last samurai <laughs> exactly we we don't want and, and and yeah and it's also the other side it's like well we don't want this happening 
Um, and so for a lot of us, you know, we're starting with like really small budgets, you know, $500,000 to a million to $2 million, because, um, you know, we know we're going to cast people that um, are going to be able to play the role right. Mm -hmm. And the film in itself might not make a ton of money, might not be marketed that much. Mm. It might play, you know, it, it could still play at Sundance or get to play at South by Southwest, bigger festivals, but it might not even get picked up for distribution by, by A24 or Neon because it doesn't have the star power to mm. then sell back. Mm. Yeah. So um, sometimes when, when people are like, why, why is there just not enough representation? It's like, well, there's, there's a, there's a, I, I, I think it starts with the executives who yeah. need to like tear down these uh, perceptions that, you know, only well-known A-list actors are going to bring in money. When in reality, I think, I think any good story yep. that you put out there that you're willing to invest in, that you are willing to push out and advertise is going to attract it. As long as it's a good story, people are going to go watch it. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think people are hungry to look at various perspectives. I mean, the Sundance Institute is is very is known very well for actually wanting to tell those like very diverse stories, which is mm -hmm. on on one side you obviously get like the big movies that they premiere, mm -hmm. you know, because every movie looks for a premiere festival. Um, but then you have like a ton. I mean, there were a hundred feature films at Sundance this yeah. year, wow. and you know we only heard about like three or four of them. You know, all there's a ton of other like uh, smaller indie f uh, films that are full of diverse stories yeah. and cast and such that uh, I don't think people realize exist, but that's just simply because um, the money that goes to advertising the, the, the only four movies mm. with like Anne Hathaway or, or, uh, or like Daisy Ridley, you know, they're, you know, that's all the, where the money is yeah. kind of going for to advertising with, with that question though, I, I am, I'm very curious, you know, there's a movie and, and, and this might be later go into my list of recommendations. There's a movie called past lives that came out um, about Korean immigrants uh, here. Hmm. Um, and I thought it was brilliant. That was, it was a pretty, it was, they had a really big budget to market, even though they didn't have like A-listers on them. It was hmm. Korean actors um, and it was shot in New York. Oh, yes, I have heard about, I've yeah. seen advertisements for it on TikTok actually exactly yes and i heard it's really good people said it wrecked them or something yeah it um, got it got a big marketing push yeah so if people are out there watching it if it's getting into people's feeds and people's attentions and the word of mouth spreads like hey this movie's good and people are watching it then that only makes it a big win for anyone mm. especially like myself mm -hmm. who's looking is like well i want to cast immigrants i want to cast like people you know both because that that was kind of like you know they cast people from korea and people from here that's like that's you know, it, it shows the executives, it shows like Hollywood that essentially yeah. that, yes, they can um, invest, you know, in in lesser known kind of actors and such to be able to tell a story properly. Mm. Yeah, that's so. Oh, sorry, oh, go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Nate. OK, I was going to say that's that's one thing that I kind of love about the social media age and the Internet era that we're in is the ability of of, of different ideas and concepts yeah. to spread and then also just exposure. Like, for instance, never would have ever heard of Squid Game if not for how much it blew up on, on social media, right? And that's a Korean TV show that was, you know, in the making for like 20 years. And then finally he got the platform to be able to tell that story. Um, and then you've got, you know, other shows. I, being able to just get on Netflix and watch a show from like different parts of the world. Like I watched this 
this Thai movie that was called Hunger. And yeah. it was about like, have you seen it? No, know. no, I've heard of it. But okay. I it, seen it, it was, yeah. it was, it's on, in a movie on Netflix. I really liked it. It's just like a kind of like a, a drama about um, this young woman in Thailand who like learns how to cook mm-hmm. um, at her family's restaurant. And then she like gets into the, the industry of like being a chef um, like under the mentorship of this other person, they end up kind of yeah. going head to head. Like it's it's a great movie, and then you know you watch stuff like Squid Game, or I don't know if you ever seen Money Heist or heard about that. Yeah, one, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Like yeah. A, a Spanish totally Spanish show. Um, so you know, getting exposure to all of these different cultures and like different styles of of filmmaking and like production that you just wouldn't be used to. Yeah. Um, I think is something that's really amazing, and so I love that. Um, like you also have the opportunity to kind of tell your story and like that that'll you know increase as, as time goes on yeah have you seen the movie called his house yes i have yeah. seen that one yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. african immigrants one. in europe and it's a horror film mm-hmm. oh wow phenomenal yeah. and and it's made by uh by black filmmakers and i think um uh, what what makes that film so special is that specificity mm-hmm. of uh you know that that they can bring over to uh maybe a tale that oh it's maybe similar but it's different. It just feels different. It feels fresh. It feels new. Mm-hmm. And I think people are just ready to, you know, uh, I think people are, are ready to kind of accept um, more of a post-colonial side yeah. of no, filmmaking, you know? Yeah. It's so true because <laughs> I'm sorry, like, it's true. Like, the those kind of stories, nobody, they've been told so many times. Um, and now they can't be told in different ways, you know, for example... They love to make war movies, and I do yeah. be watching them though, so I can't mm-hmm. say anything. But um, even what's that movie that came out last year? It was nominated for a few. Um, something on the Western Front. Do you guys all know quiet that? on the Western? Front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I as an example to say like that was a different way of telling that a story about war. That was interesting. Like I, I hadn't seen it that way. So I was like, okay, th- that was um, cool. But I think people are. T- like there, there are new stories that can be tell told, especially with how diverse the world is becoming yeah. and the different experiences that people have. People want to see themselves reflected in movies, and the upcoming generation again is just more diverse, wanting to see that. And so, mm-hmm. um, people are wanting stories to what you were what you were saying. Um, they want the stories to reflect the diversity that exists, and not just themselves, but in the people they know, the their friends they have, um, and the people they see around them, like. People don't want to go to a movie that they don't feel like is something that resonates with them or stories that um, relate to them. I saw, I was lucky enough to see three of the Sundance, like smaller films. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a film called Mommy Watcher. I don't know if you heard about it or saw I, it. I did, I did read about it, but yeah, I didn't see it. Very interesting. It was basically a play on like um very West African like folk tale, um, which was really interesting. It was shot like all at night. Okay. Oh, Interesting. Wow. I got to talk with the director. Oh, that's um, cool. shout out see to those those the smaller films like yeah. that. You can do that. Yeah. You shout out go. to my boyfriend for getting me tickets to that. Yeah. Um, and so that was really cool being able to talk with them and like their process of filming and um what went into like the story. Um, just because they brought like several different types of like country specific folk tales together to bring this story oh. to life. And then, um, I saw another one and I forget the name. It was basically about mental health. In the black community, I oh, forget wow. the name. I remember you talking. Oh about my gosh, that. it was so mm-hmm. good. I loved it. The way that the story was told, I wish I knew the name. If I get, it, I'll write it in the the description of this. But I love that one as well. It's also by a black um, director. Yeah. Um, and then I saw the movie that Tiana Taylor was in. Okay. Um, oh, it's on Hulu now, isn't it? Yeah, I think. I yeah, that's uh, yeah. It's, um, um, 
thousand one. Yes. Yeah. It won, yeah. It won. It won. It won the grand jury prize. Oh, it did. Yeah. It oh, did. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. See, I don't. Yeah, I don't keep really up. Good. I'm so I, sorry, but yeah. I also really love that one as well. Anyway, I said that to say, um, it was just cool to see these movies that I probably would not have been like, yeah, let me go if it was just you know put out normally on marketing. Um, and so it opened my eyes as well that I need to do a better job of like seeking these things out and supporting diverse um, storytelling because those are movies that I still think about, all of them. Um, and I hope that more people get the platform. And I want to do my part in um, providing, putting my money where my mouth is, right? Because this is America <laughs> and you got to put your money in yeah. or your views or your plays to show what you were saying, these people excuse me, the, the executives that these are stories people want to see, that people want to hear um, because it's, it's something that isn't valued, um, but it's slowly getting more um, attention. But it's it's crazy that mm-hmm. we only get like a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once, for example, with yeah. actors that people never heard of mm-hmm. that are now winning like Academy Awards yeah. for their performances, right? Like those people were not A-listers, right? And now they are, you know what I mean? And it's like crazy how they can be elevated um, by getting the right platform and the right budget. Um, But how many of those do we get? How many smaller films came before something like that to even allow that um, movie to get elevated to that level? So it's... Well, I I think it's important that people realize too, it's like that their money speaks, you know? I think one of the reasons why we've had so many kind of super high budget uh, blockbusters like Marvel films and stuff like that being made uh, is simply just because that's, it's it's like the formula thing, you know, people like they make the movie because they know it's going to make money and such. But this is like the first year where like almost like five blockbusters in a row have not made nearly as much mm. money as the years before, you know, mm. like I think, I think a lot of them have been like flops. I think like the new Indiana Jones movie was like pretty, pretty much a flop. I think mm-hmm. um, it hasn't even come out yet, but they're predicting that it'll be a flop. And the Flash was yeah, it just a was disaster. did not make it. So yeah. I think it's a good time right now for the industry yeah. and for like Hollywood to be mm-hmm. like, okay, what is making money? And so yeah. if they if they're seeing that like films like a thousand one, you know, if films like past lives are making money then they're like oh okay mm-hmm. this is what people yeah, it's want like, to watch you know that's, that's funny how that works that, yeah. now they now they care they don't so actually like, care about the story they care about the money which, but you know if that gets them there exactly we'll, we'll we'll do what we can to get to to telling more diverse stories exactly that's that's exactly how how it kind of works kind of sucks because at the end of the day you know it sucks when people when you know it's it's up to the minorities to mm. you know to 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 kind of like change the things you know it's like when uh when there's when there's just been so many obstacles put in place but you know but hey but that's you know you we we reap what we sow you know we go through all that so no i i think i think it's an exciting time to be a filmmaker it's kind of a weird time too you know, there's a there's a strike right now yes um, but but it's an exciting time all around so yeah love that, love that. Um, so with your films uh do you like what kind of what like what parts do you take on? Mm-hmm. Um, I know you said you you want to be in the director's chair. That's like the yeah. big thing. Um, so like what parts do you take on? Like do you do a lot of the writing, a lot of yeah. the production, or do you kind of just like focus on telling the story and you like give that to someone else to take care of? Yeah. How, do you, and yeah, how do you go about the process of making a film? And yeah, also like kind of break down like all. I think it'd be cool to explain like the parts of it as well, like all the parts that go along with. Um, of making a film yeah. so that people know because it's kind of cool how many moving parts there are and i think yeah. and then exp- 
explain like what you do specifically. So, totally, totally. Okay. So it definitely uh, differs in my. Um, I'll talk a little bit for just first about documentary because it's uh, what I do kind of for a living. <laughs> um, it's you wear a ton of hats. I think with the Simple Citizen team, um, there's only two people. It's Karina and I, <laughs> and so we do everything from like the producing to um, to shooting to editing to everything. And so it's quite a big a big labor and such. But more traditionally, though, in a in a in a narrative sense, which is what I have no tears and I must cry was, um, there is definitely kind of a structure there of everybody having a role. And so me as the director and as a writer, you know, I wrote this thing based off of my wife's experience um, and my experience, both of our experience, wrote it. And from there, I found a producer who was going to help me find the team. That's what a producer essentially does. They kind of manage and build the team together. Sometimes producers also try to like look for and pitch for funding and such like that. Um, and so they they kind of take a lot of the heavy lifting in that mm. regard. Uh, the director kind of has the 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 vision of like how the movie's going to look, how it's going to be portrayed, how it's going to be acted. And so as a director, you're, you're, you're wearing mo- majorly like one hat, but like a ton of different small hats mm. because you are in charge of then every other department. There's going to be an art department that's going to be in charge of kind of the props and the scenes and the, and the, and the, uh, you know, the colors that are going to be on the film, how everything's going to be dressed in the set. Um, the cinematographer is in charge of how, like shooting, lighting, you know, com- composing the shots. You have a sound department. You have, you know, who's going to be capturing the sound and then later um, editing the sound. You have, um, those are kind of like the bigger kind of, those are kind of the big basic ones. Mm. Then it kind of goes into all over things. There's visual effects, special effects, makeup mm. effects where the, the, I mean, the, the next project that I'm doing is a horror film. And so I'm actually working with a special effects uh, person now mm, and like nice, prosthetics nice. and like cool, nice things. But before, usually it's traditionally you've got like sound, art, cinematography, the directing and then the producing. Um, and that's kind of like the basic that what you need for, for film. Um, but then as a director, you're in charge of making sure that everybody's work aligns with your vision. Mm. And then we're not even talking in front of the camera. Then just we've got the casting department and like the actors and such. And so mm. the director as you know takes care of like the look and the design of the film or making sure that it meets the vision. They're also working with the actors to direct them and, and to kind of give them the character motivations and mm. give them the direction that they should be taking. So yeah, a director kind of does a lot of things and it's good to know a little bit of everything. You don't absolutely need to. Um, you can kind of not be as knowledgeable. Like I, I didn't really know much about visual effects until a couple of years ago. And I know only basic stuff only so I can communicate with someone. Mm. Um, but by no means do you need to be an expert at everything. You should, you should be an expert. I think at what the things what what matters. You know, talking to the actors, knowing how to. A director's big main job essentially is knowing how to communicate their vision, mm. uh, so that then the other departments can execute it. Yeah, well that's cool though. Ooh, I feel like that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it <laughs> is okay. Well, you. It's like you're giving people the leeway to kind of own it right like yeah you want the 
makeup person or the costume designer yeah. to own it and like do it in their way but also it needs to align with like the story that you're trying to exactly. tell so it's like very a lot of massaging it feels like um, it to is. make everything kind of flow together in harmony in a very practical sense i mean if you if you talk about a director who um is very you know they for example uh, the movie us you know jordan mm. peele uh there's a reason why he chose for the jumpsuits to be red and that was a that was a, a conversation that he, that the director uh, Jordan Peele had to have with their costuming people, mm. with their production designer, with their art department saying these need to be read for this reason. So and so and so. Yeah. You know, so stuff like that is is where, um, you know, it, small little things, you know, I think every detail. It's so funny when you watch a, a fiction film like that. Most of the times everything's just fake. <laughs> mm. You know, when you just go into a film set and start working on things, even the sound is like all added in later and then things <laughs> like that. It's like everything's fake, guys. Nothing's real. Mm. This 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 brick wall right behind me, it's fake. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, so wow. Man, I am captivated by Yeah, this me interview. too. It's got me motivated to do something. What? I don't know, but um, I'm feeling like, well, let me tap into my creative side a little bit. But I, you guys do a lot already, so that's I mean, <laughs> that's inspiring. I mean, it's just all the all your all your posts, all the questions that you do. It's it's wow. It's it definitely is moves. You know. Thank you. Well, we know who to talk to when it's time to make a Black Menaces documentary. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> no, totally, totally. <laughs> Hit me up. Yeah. Well, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like it was amazing being able to talk with you and like learn a little bit more about filmmaking about your process about your art and um we're definitely going to provide a way for like our listeners and viewers to be able to to watch some of the things that you have created um and yeah i mean with that we'll jump right into our recommendations so totally um did you want to go first you want me to go first no you go first this right, week i'll go first this week i got a couple um first one being that insecure is now on netflix oh my gosh love that show Love Insecure. All five seasons. Watched it um, over the last... When did I finish it? We probably finished it a couple of months ago. Me and Cass watched it all together. And uh, I love that show. So it's a TV show. It's um, created by Issa Rae, who, if you don't know, is an amazing actress, um, mm -hmm. writer, producer, director, all of that. She started off on YouTube. Um, she just like wrote a TV show for her YouTube channel, basically. And that kind of spurred her into bigger and better things. Um, and so, yeah, she's able to create a TV show on HBO called uh, Insecure. That is now available on Netflix, and it's just a great story. It's it's not, um, I guess for lack of a better like way of saying, it, it's not anything special. Like there's no sensational nature to it. There's no like crazy plot twist or anything like that. It's literally just a story about Black people existing and living life, making mistakes, growing, learning, all of that. And it's an incredible you know journey over five seasons. So I definitely recommend watching that. That's yes. my recommendation. I love Insecure. It's, I need to check it out. It's yeah, so it's good. good. I just love it because Issa Rae is just like very quirky mm -hmm. and she puts it in her character yeah. so well. And um, I, I love a good like it's not coming of age because she's older, but growing into herself story mm -hmm. for black people because we don't have a lot of stories like that. Mm -hmm. Um that because most of them just feel so like race heavy, yeah, mm. which is n good and like I those are needed, um, yeah. but it's just you know like Nate was saying, just her existing as a young black woman in L.A., figuring out life in her late twenties and what she wants, what she needs, having funny experiences, mm -hmm. um, 
And it's just, it feels like a, a relaxed way to experience blackness yeah. in, a, in a TV show, which we don't have a lot of. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the best things about it is that it's not about being black. No. It's just about being human. And uh, that's something that um, a lot of times people of color don't have the opportunity to do is just tell a story about being themselves. Usually the story has to have like a specific narrative. Like for instance, in, I saw a video on, on, on Instagram that was talking about how Denzel Washington played the role of Malcolm X. He played the role of, um, I'm forgetting all the roles that he played. But anyway, like he's lots done of, all these very, man, like, yeah, lots of, like, very profound mm -hmm. roles, but the roles that he won an Oscar for was being a slave in glory and being a crooked mm. cop in training day. And like out of all the things yeah. that he's done, those are the only two movies that he's won, or those are the only two roles that he's won for. Um, and it just kind of goes to show like black people don't often have a chance to tell a story um, in a way that isn't centered around race or yeah. centered around trauma. And so insecure is just a way to just tell a story about being a person. And so I, that's one of the things I love about it. But love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rachel, love um, what you got? Okay. My recommendation is um, go listen to Little Uzi's album. Uh, <laughs> I love Little Uzi. That is my guy since um, um, his song Money Longer blew up in 2016. But the reason I mention it, um, kind of based on our conversation today, is actually in the album, he goes, he has a lot of different genres. Like mm -hmm. every song is kind of a different genre. And um, I just support artists being creative and being themselves and expressing themselves kind of how they want and um, each song kind of has a different sound and a different feel and um, I just think it's really cool how he's you know not holding himself to one genre he kind of goes into rock a little bit mm -hmm. um, and just yeah and so I just I recommend it because it he kind of I don't know adds a little depth to himself in this album of just showing that he can do more than just one thing and yeah. um, I just I really appreciate it and so Shout out to little Uzi. I think he's also very funny on social media. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's my recommendation. It's, yeah, I, you wouldn't expect it from him, I felt like. Yeah. I, I love the way that hip-hop is going, too, with that. I feel like a lot of artists, like younger hip-hop artists especially, are trying to like take elements of different music yes. that you wouldn't normally hear. And that's cool because growing up, I wasn't like the traditional or stereotypical black kid, I guess, right? Like I had... Um, you know, I wasn't really allowed to listen to hip hop as much. And when I did, it was Christian hip hop. And so I grew up listening to like Christian rock or just regular rock music. But that was kind of a part of myself that I had to like put away because, you know, black people don't do that. Black people don't listen mm. to that. Um, so being able to hear that, you know, like there's other things. Like I, there's this song that I like. It's in one of my my playlists where somebody took like the Naruto theme song or like one of the, like the main themes from the Naruto and like turn it into a trap beat and then like rapped over it. And I'm like, this is fire. I love yeah. it. Oh, nice. yeah, it's fun. It's, you know, things like that. But yeah, you know, you've got like Lil Uzi making this album. Uh, Lil Yachty's album was really interesting. Oh, yeah, exactly. It. it was very like almost like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin mm, type vibes. Yeah. Um, and then you've got artists like uh, Destroy Lonely, who your your boyfriend actually introduced me to. Of course he um, did. Yeah, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's going in a, a different like, a different vein of creativity and i like that yes a lot, but. i agree mm -hmm. that's right um what's your recommendation good man oh recommendation i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with a musical one because i already gave like okay. some movies yeah that's like, true. <laughs> this one. um i i've been listening to this one artist called kuko he's kind of he's an he's a latin artist uh i think he's maybe second or third generation i can't quite recall so he doesn't actually but but he mixes in like a lot of Spanish and English like in his lyrics and stuff and I like it when artists 
do that. It's it it kind of brings a different kind of uh, lyrical. So it's kind of like Latin rock and such, but it's really really well made. I, I really like his. Um, really liking vibing with what he is making, and so um, yeah, it sounds really good. And if you're interested in kind of hearing the hybrid, how he does it, it's uh, you know, it's 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 cool. I, I I've heard a few artists doing that, and I I, I mean definitely I I would want to do that, you know, if I was writing more music. So yeah. and that's Kuko C U C O Kuko C U C O. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right, we're gonna put Sweet. that down. With yeah. that, yeah. Thank you, Luis, so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for it. having me. And uh, closing remarks, got to include those in here. Um, so a few things. If there are any stories that you want us to share or people you want us to interview, please be sure to uh, email us. We actually already got an email today. I still need to go and read it. Um, but yeah, if you just have any ideas, we got a lot of great interviews coming up. We're super excited to share. Uh, but yeah, please email us at blackmenacespodcast at gmail.com. And then make sure you go and follow us on all of our platforms. It's just at Black Menaces on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And then the Black Menaces on YouTube. Um, and then you can also support us with like one-time or monthly donations uh, via uh, our website, which is theblackmenaces.org. And you can go to blackmenaces.org slash donate to make like a one-time donation or a monthly donation. You can also support us by purchasing merch um, from, our, from our website. We have original, you know, I'm actually wearing one. Let me sport this real quick. Hold on, hold on. All right, so you can see it. I'm wearing the Be A Menace tee. This is the OG shirt that we came up with. So uh, be sure to, to go and purchase this. We also have some hoodies, some like, you know, other fun stuff. Like I think there's some coffee mugs on there. And um, then you can also donate through Venmo at the Black Menaces. Um, and yeah, with that, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. And we will catch you next week. <laughs>